Um, it is true. My name is Todd, and I am the spirit and word pastor. If you've never heard of that, it's only because you haven't heard me say that sentence before. Because I don't know that anyone else that I've ever met has that title. It can kind of mean whatever we want it to mean. But as I was like getting ready to do this thing today, I was like, I think this sort of talk is like what we have in mind. So you can see if that's, if that's true. It's about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit gets up to in the church. Um, but it's also, we are reading the Bible. I'm going to read like a good bit of Bible, or at least summarize a good bit of Bible. Because when you're coming to the end of a teaching series, which we kind of are, um, I think this is, we've had 10 prior talks on the book of 1 Corinthians. There is some Bible to like, you know, in the background of, there's just a few verses we're going to focus on today, but there's like a whole lot of background that I think makes the verses we focus on today like that much more interesting. So we're going to get some spirit, which is the subject. Also, uh, uh, hopefully the spirit is also kind of a player in our gathering. Um, we'll talk quite a bit about that. Uh, but we've got some word. We've got some words and uh, this thing called the Bible that sometimes gets called the word of God. We're also going to talk about a thing called the word of God that might be not exactly the same thing as the Bible. That's all we're doing. So here I am, the spirit and word pastor, to like talk about the spirit and, and the word, things of that sort. Let me pray for us again because we want to invite the spirit come and do some things in the midst of the words. I'm probably going to stop with that soon, that bit. Maybe not. So Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here. We are going to talk about the things that you get up to in the gathering of God's people. Um, but the way that that is possible is because you actually are here already. It's actually because you already indwell those who love you and who trust you and who are yeah gathered when your people gather. So we just pray, Holy Spirit, for your work in our midst. We've got a nice breeze. We've got a little shade. We ask, Lord, that you would move in ways uh, that communicate what you have for us as, as individuals and as a body here. Would we see you and hear you and be able to um, say yes to the things you would invite us into as we gather together? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So, like I said... We have been reading through the book of 1 Corinthians for the last uh, tw 10 weeks. It's a summer series we've been calling Life in the Body. Now, in case you have been on vacation a little bit, have you been on vacation? Time is running out. Sinclair, I'm looking at you. I'm like, I know it's soon, but it's not yet. If you have been on vacation, maybe you haven't heard all 10 talks. Anyone heard all 10 talks? Tina says yes. Josh, yeah. Some, there were some recordings listened to. You guys were actually here, all of those? Maybe. Well, let me tell you that 1 Corinthians is a letter written by a guy named Paul. We sometimes call him the Apostle Paul. Apostle meaning a person who starts things, uh, who establishes things and gets them going. Um, Paul was involved in planting a church in Corinth. People who live in Corinth are called Corinthians. What are people who live in New Haven called? Do we have a th New Haveners? Is that it? So if I wrote you a letter, and it was the first one that was collected into our new New Testament, which I'm not about to do, it might be the first letter of Todd to the New Haveners. This is what we have uh, in 1 Corinthians. It turns out if you read the letter kind of carefully, it looks like maybe he sent them a prior letter and they wrote back. So this is maybe at least his second letter to the Corinthians. But it's called 1 Corinthians because it's gathered into the New Testament as the first letter to the Corinthians. Pretty simple. Um, he helped establish this church in Corinth uh, when he was in the city. Um, 
Looks like he left Corinth maybe around the year 51 or 52. So this is about 2,000 years old, this letter that we're reading. Um, and about three years later, he's writing this letter as part of a correspondence about some things that are happening in Corinth. Um, he sets some things up, and he, at various points, is like, you guys are, uh, you guys are getting off track in a few different ways. Um, I think it's important for us... Uh, Maybe when we read the Bible in general, but especially when we read these Pauline epistles. Epistle is a fancy name for a letter. I might say that from time to time. When we read these things, we are dealing with, like, in-the-moment communication from a guy to a church. I don't think Paul thinks he's writing the Bible. That doesn't mean that we ought not be reading what Paul wrote in the Bible, but it means that when Paul is like writing to this church, he's writing about things that he knows are happening in this church, already having this long and extensive prior relationship with them. So when he starts talking about some topic, and we're like, it's in the Bible, we could be mistaken if we thought like, hey, this will be the complete treatment of, say, spiritual gifts. We would love to know all of the things that Paul thought about spiritual gifts. We only get some of them, and we only get the ones that he wrote about to the Corinthians in this letter, and also in Romans, and also in some other places, right? So we're dealing with, like, in-the-moment theology that is needed, not a, like, hey, I need to make sure to put everything in this book so that when people read it 2,000 years later, all of their questions will be answered. I think you will get from the flavor of the letter that Paul wouldn't really expect that to work anyway, because Paul has this idea that the Holy Spirit is alive and active in the body, and that part of what you do when you gather is not to actually have all the answers or plans ahead of time, but to actually see what the Holy Spirit might be, be doing as you meet. So he wouldn't have any sense that he might write it all down so we would have it together, because he expects the people of God when they gather to be led into things and edify one another because the Holy Spirit is at work in their midst. I like this. Hopefully you do too. Um, 1 Corinthians is especially concerned with what it means to be a people of the Spirit. And here we mean the Holy Spirit. Paul uses the word spiritual from time to time. I think he always means capital S, spiritual. Right? He wants the Corinthians to understand what it really means to be a people of the Holy Spirit. Not when you, you ask your friend, like, hey, do you ever go to church? And they say, no, but I'm very spiritual. Different. That's S, small s, I think. Paul is concerned about capital S spiritual, what it looks to be, what it looks like to be people who follow and are informed by and indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But what it means to be a people of the Spirit, and this is kind of the subject of our series, uh, is to belong to one another in the church. I think these actually like are almost entirely collapsed, at least when Paul is writing in Corinthians, that to be a people of the Spirit also means to belong to one another in the church. There isn't actually a version of being a person of the Spirit where you do this uh, apart from being a part of the body of Christ, which is the image that Paul uses for the church. So the title of our series, Life in the Body, actually comes from this image in uh, the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Paul didn't give us the chapters. There was a guy who allegedly on horseback divided the uh, the... New Testament into verses, right? 
And Kate, people make the joke like, I wonder why the verse division is there. Like the horse must have hit a, hit a thing, right? Paul wasn't like, and now for chapter 12. But it is in chapter 12 because it's easier to find these things when you label them. In chapter 12, we have this image of the body. And we get this, this kind of direct aim, I think, at the idea that people wouldn't have a role somewhere in the body. That there would be a way of kind of understanding one's life or identity as something other than in the body. So Paul seems to be especially concerned about neglecting what he calls lesser parts of the body. It's not clear to me that he really thinks they're lesser, but the Corinthians might be calling them lesser parts of the body um, to the extent that they are like not getting attention. So he has a, he has a concern in chapter 11 I think I was probably on vacation when we did chapter 11. <laughs> but chapter 11 is about a meal controversy where he, Paul is getting word that, hey, when you guys get together and you have these like Lord's suppers, you have these love feasts, some people, maybe it's the people of leisure, maybe the people who are not the day laborers, some of y'all are showing up early and you're like eating the food. And then like when the people get off work show up, there's no food. Paul is pissed about this. This is showing that people are not understanding what it looks like to be in the body. Um, the other place this is going to happen uh, in the text that we'll look at a little bit today is in this practice of speaking in tongues. And I'll get there in a minute. But it seems like one of the problems the Corinthians are having is that people are speaking in these uh, unintelligible languages like a lot and at the same time. And he says... You know what? That's a pretty lousy way to be a body. Not just if you're doing this one thing the whole time, but you're, there's actually kind of a lack of regard for what it might be like to love or care or see someone else if you're just up here kind of blathering away because you're so spiritual. He wants to redefine <laughs> some of this notion of what it means to be spiritual. If you speak in a funny language, that must mean you're really spiritual, right? Paul says, no, the measure of being spiritual is that you are orienting your exercise of a spiritual gift towards edifying the community, towards being intelligible, towards serving uh, the community. So in this image in, in chapter 12, Paul gives us the image of the body, right? He talks about what's on the list, the foot, the hand, the ear, the eye. He didn't say the nose, but he talks about the sense of smell. He says, hey, if you're a hand, you can't do the smelling. If you're an eye, you can't do the soccer, playing, whatever, however the different things are supposed to go. And he maps this on to a list of spiritual gifts. So in that list, there is a word of wisdom. Matt talked about this, I think, a few weeks ago, and then Josh did the week after. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, kinds of tongues. There's another list later on. Apostles, prophets, teachers, again, tongues. Actually, it turns out there are five or six different lists in this group of chapters, 12 through, 12 through 14, um, and tongues is in all of them. That's a hint. That's a hint that the tongues are a problem. But because this is a letter, Paul's not laying out a complete account of spiritual gifts. What he's laying out is an idea that, hey, if you are a member of the body of Christ, if you are a member of the church, the Lord has given you gifts that are for the functioning of the church, that are for the upbuilding of the church. And there's no, there's actually no spectation uh, in the body of Christ. There's no just receiving the ministry of the church. Everyone actually has a thing that they're to be about and doing. So I want us to, 
that's that's enough, I think, in the way of recap of where we've gotten. But I feel like this image of the body and the gifting of different members of the body is core enough to what it means to be the church and to, uh, to, and to hear uh, what Paul will say to us today in the, in the text that we're going to look at. But I actually want us to take a moment and just kind of consider, do you actually feel like you have a sense of where you fit in the body, of the way that you've been gifted? Do you have a Do you have a suspicion about where that might go? Do you have a hope of how that might work? Do you have some experience of uh, exercising a particular gift or set of gifts or or ministry? I don't think there's any any indication here that you have like one as opposed to five gifts or three as opposed to one or what. I, I think nobody gets zero. There is no appendix which can be cut out and you can live just fine. Uh, There's no appendix in the body of Christ, uh, but everyone has a thing to do. So I just, actually for a moment, want you to just check in and say like, hey, do I know, do I have a sense of of where I fit in the body of Christ? Because like I said, you don't, there's no like not body option for following Jesus and being in the people of God. There are no freelance Christians in 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 the view that Paul is setting out here. So just take a minute and kind of consider, see what you lay a hold of, even see what the Lord might lead you to. Okay, is there something there or nothing there? How many people felt like they have a little bit of a sense or a lot of a sense? So anywhere from like a little to quite a bit. Okay. How many people feel like you are close to no idea whatsoever? That's fine. Okay. Okay. A lot of you did not put yourself in either one of those I think mutually exclusive categories so there's just that I'm just telling it like it is a lot of you think I'm speaking in tongues because it didn't you didn't get it it's fine we'll keep going um if you don't know where you fit in the body of Christ I don't mean fit like you know I just mean if you don't have a sense of kind of what you're for in the body I'd encourage you to like figure that out how could you do that I have some ideas. You could email me. I'm Todd, Todd at elmcityvineyard.org. You could email Patrick, who most people I think like better than me, and for good reason. Email Patrick. You could email Josh. You could email uh, Kiana, Mariah. And I just, I think this is actually like a thing that maybe the Lord would have you consider. Like, what, what am I about? Like, how, have, how has the Lord gifted me to be in this body? Or do I fit in this body? The answer is yes, you fit in the body, but it's going to be good to know how you fit. All right. That's enough for the first however many chapters of Corinthians. Um, In the 14th chapter, which is where we've gotten, uh, actually starting with Shirley last week, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what we learned from Shirley. Paul is especially concerned with how things go when the church gathers for worship, like we're doing now, more or less. The focus, and here's where tongues become a little bit of the problem for them, is not on demonstrating one's spiritual giftedness, kind of as such, 
but demonstrating spiritual giftedness for the edification of the body, the people who are gathered as the church. We talked a little bit about the, uh, the food controversy. Tongues is the other thing. Um, let me give you my one minute on tongues, the gift of tongues. I take tongues, and Shirley talked about this last week. I take tongues to be something like Holy Spirit-enabled speech in a language that the speaker doesn't know, so that the speaker's brain doesn't know. On what seem to be quite rare occasions, it is a language that someone else knows and overhears it and like, hey, that's my language. That seems to happen some. It happens very prominently in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, which I think misleads people sometimes to think that that's mostly what tongues is about, is about speaking in a foreign language unknown to you, but that someone around like might know. I think in most of the other places we see tongues talked about, most of our other experiences in the church, um, tongues are a language that nobody knows, except maybe the angels. There's that bit in 1 Corinthians 13 that talks about the tongues of men and angels. I don't know if they really are the tongues of angels, or that's just a way of saying nobody knows that language. Nobody around knows what language you're talking. Um, but Paul makes quite clear, and Shirley talked about this last week, when Paul is comparing tongues and prophecy, that tongues are, in most cases, a private prayer language, a language that you might uh, use to pray yourself to God. Because it isn't language that other people understand, getting up and praying in tongues into a microphone for three minutes is a bad use of people's time. Five minutes is worse. Ten minutes, even worse. I think that's what the Corinthians were doing. Why would they be doing that? Why would someone get up here and speak in tongues for 10 minutes? Why would someone do that? Any guesses? Do you have any sympathy for this, or is that the weirdest, most inexplicable thing you have ever heard? Yeah. They're trying to flex. I speak in tongues. Yeah, I think there's some of that. Any other, any other thoughts? I think, and maybe you all don't know a lot about first century pagan worship, and that's fine. I think that's very fine. There could be perhaps a notion that when, a, when the spirit comes and does something, that you can't really help yourself. You just got to go with it. Whatever it is, the spirit is doing a thing. I think part of what Paul is trying to teach the Corinthians is like, hey, you know what? That's not how our God works. Our God, he will say later, is a God of order, <laughs> of edification. When we gather, our God is invested in using gifts that are going to build up the body, that are going to be intelligible, that are going to be understandable, that are going to be encouraging. They're not going to be like spiritual nonsense. So you have a choice when the Spirit might come upon you or inspire you in some way. You've got some choices about how you embody that, how you speak. You don't just have to be like banana, 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 banana for 15 minutes. And then everyone is like, boy, that guy is spiritual, but that was annoying. I am hungrier than before, right? I think this is what's happening. But I think it's based on an idea that, hey, when the Spirit comes and does a thing, we got to go with it. And Paul, sa I think, is saying, sure, you got to go with what the Spirit is saying, but you're, you're, your brain is involved. Your, like, consideration of other people is involved. 
love is involved, right? Right before this, we get the chapter 13 pulled right out of, they don't usually talk about tongues and prophecy in the weddings when you get 1 Corinthians 13. That's right in the middle of this thing, right? It's about not exercising spiritual gifts to flex. It's about not exercising spiritual gifts to show that you've got them. It's about exercising spiritual gifts to build up the body, to edify, to actually build the church in witness to what Jesus is about. Okay. So Paul's not, if you're interested in tongues, I like tongues so much. Just not spoken into a microphone uninterpreted for three or five or ten minutes. If you're interested in tongues, we're going to have a little, we're going to have a little session this week at my house, Tuesday, 730. It's in the weekly. If you don't get the weekly, ask yourself, why don't I get the weekly? It's so hard to know what's happening without the weekly. At my house, we're going to have a little workshop on tongues. We'll look at some biblical texts. Some people are like, hey, I might like the gift of tongues. We'll see if maybe we can uh, invite the Holy Spirit to do that. So that's happening. I think that's enough about tongues. But Paul is pretty concerned about tongues. But again, Shirley talked to us about that last week. Um, What Paul really recommends instead of tongues, Paul likes tongues too. He says in verse 5 of chapter 14, uh, I want you all to speak in tongues. That's very, very clear to me. Paul wants everyone to speak in tongues. I actually want you all to speak in tongues too. I, Todd, want all of you to speak in tongues. But we're not going to do so much of that here unless there's someone around to interpret the tongues, which sometimes happens, but we'll get there. What Paul is really, really for is prophecy. And Shirley gave a lovely account last week uh, of what's happening in prophecy. Um, She defined prophecy as Holy Spirit-empowered forth-telling. Not foretelling like in advance, which could be the case, but forth-telling. And then she said that it, it's specifically what's being told is the mind, the message, and the love of God. So prophecy is about telling forth something about what God is thinking or wanting uh, or wanting to communicate to a particular person. And she told the story of how she was first exposed to prophecy before she had the word prophecy for it and coming alongside students in a student ministry she was serving and trying to hear something true for them from God, something about how God saw them, uh, what they needed, how God loved them. And then she quoted 1 Corinthians 14, verses 3, that those who prophesy speak to other people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And she even talked a little bit about what each of those words mean, upbuilding, like to actually make a space or home for God in some way, that prophecy might, having been heard by someone, allow someone to kind of be shaped in such a way that it would be easier for them to have God dwell with them, that they would be a home for God. Or uh, in the case of this uh, encouragement word, uh, sometimes that that word is used for being kind of a proximate voice that might come alongside and even stand up for someone like in a court of law, right? So a kind of an advocate who would come alongside and say, do you know that the, the word Satan means accuser or enemy? Someone who would come alongside and be like, I don't think so. That's not right. Nope. Someone who would stand alongside. That's another function that prophecy might have. And third, uh, consolation, which she uh, did a little. She was hitting the Bible dictionary, and that's good because I, I don't even need to do that. I can just tell you what Shirley said. Um, but about near speech, tender speech, speech that's kind of 
right next to you, identifying with you, uh, showing kind of solidarity uh, with, with who you are and what you're experiencing. Prophecy is for these things. And Paul goes on and on, not on and on, but for 25 verses saying, you know what you want? You want prophecy, not tongues. Tongues, no one knows what you're talking about except maybe God. So go ahead and do that all the time, but not in the public space. You know what you should do in the public space? Prophecy. Because prophecy is going to serve the body. If you're prophesying, you're not being a jerk about it. Because you're thinking what is going to edify, what's going to build up, what's going to console, what's going to serve this group of people. And not, I speak in tongues. Watch me speak in tongues. I'm not going to do it. I do speak in tongues. It's not a flex. This is true. All right. This is where we get to the part that is my part. So if you want to, you know, scroll to the appropriate place on the Bible, if you brought a physical Bible, I wish I could say I have a prize for you because I like them. Um, but this is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. We're going to read only about eight verses at the end of this chapter. And then we're going to do what they say. How many times do you do that? Do you read the Bible and do what they say? Don't answer that. That's hard. That's a hard calculation to make. This is verse 26. Paul has just said, hey, yes, prophecy, tongues, eh. When you meet together in a gathering, a worship gathering, each has a song, that's the word for psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation, I think there's a dot, dot, dot here. This is not the complete list of elements of a worship gathering. These are the sorts of things that when you meet, each person in the gathering might be expected to bring. Did you know this was in here, in the book? When you meet, each of you, at least potentially, has a song, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Now, I grew up Catholic. I was baptized and confirmed, so my Catholic friends will tell me I still am a Catholic until the bishop kicks me out. And why would he? I am a Catholic. I'm also other things. When I grew up going to Mass, there was no sense whatsoever that this could be how a worship gathering might work, I think. When you gather, somebody's got a song, Somebody's got a teaching, someone's got a revelation, someone's got a tongue, someone's got an interpretation. My experience of the Mass, God bless it, was that there was one guy who was very much in charge. He was assisted by certain people who had very clear roles. And there was not a whole lot left to chance in that space. You might have several people, like, you know, doing the music or something. I was post-Vatican II Catholic, so we met in basements, and, like, there was definitely a John Denver song at my <laughs> baptism. So it was a little folksier than sometimes it goes. Um, but in my upbringing, there was not a sense that the group of people gathering to worship themselves had gifts to give into that worship space. That was not a thing. Later on, when I was in college, it turned out my spiritual gift was playing the drums uh, because that is what I was asked to do in a gathering of some folks who were planting a vineyard church. 
in the south side of Chicago where I was going to school. And I was asked to come and play the drums. And they said, hey, there's going to be communion this week. You're Catholic. You'll like that. I was like, that's fake communion, whatever. But I'll come play the drums. I don't think it's fake communion anymore, guys. It's fine. We're fine. We are fine. In that place, people very much expected that when we gathered, people who were there would have things to contribute in the moment to the thing that we were doing. This was a church plant, so there were only a few dozen of us, and so that maybe made it a little bit more obvious than it might be in some other places. But the expectation was, hey, if you're in this space, if this is your community, you've been gifted in some way. You might not know it yet. Why don't you try some things out and see what you're for in this space? Because when we gather, the Lord is giving gifts. The Lord is in some, in some cases already given gifts, and it's a time to kind of activate what those gifts are. But in other cases, like, hey, the Lord might show up and do whatever, might get any person gathered in the body to have something to give or to share or to say. And I thought, if these people are right, I think I would want to be in on that. I think that would make a difference. And over the course of a few weeks, I decided I liked that way of doing church, that that actually made some sense of my identity as a follower of Jesus, that I was part of the body, but that I also had a particular role to play. And so I've been doing that ever since. It's a true story. I think this is part of our our heritage as people who are in the vineyard. Whatever you might know about the vineyard, some people in, in some places of the world know that the vineyard was very influential in contemporary worship. You could play a guitar because of the vineyard. You didn't only have to play an organ. The vineyard says yes to guitars. Now there are lots of guitars, right? Depending on where you are in the church, it's the legacy of the vineyard. I think my very favorite legacy of the vineyard is this. The saying they have that everybody gets to play. I've lately heard it kind of glossed as everyone has to play. Like everyone plays. That's what we do. When we are actually the body, everyone has something. Sorry, I'm feeling that. I like that. I think that's really good news, right? That God is not only alive in some way that you can kind of affirm. But following Jesus means participating in what he's about. Not just receiving, but giving. Having a place in the body. So that's why Paul says, when you meet, each has a song, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. I think some of these elements could be prepared. We do some preparation. 
I prepared some notes. I didn't prepare it to like have to stop because <laughs> I'm, you know, feeling some feelings. The worship team prepared some songs. They even put the lyrics up. That's helpful. There were a lot of lyrics today. It's very helpful. There's some preparation. But I think it's pretty clear that it's not only preparation, that when the people of God gather, there are going to be some things in our midst that we need to make, uh, make time and attention for. We actually, I think, try to model this. We're not, we don't always do exactly what this text is going to tell us to do as I keep reading. But we actually, as a staff, think about, hey, how many people can we have up here doing a thing? Right? We've got four or five people on the worship team. We're going to have a different person do announcements than does communion, than does the teaching, than maybe does the prayer call. We are thinking about how many people can we get up front to model that the work that we do when we're together is actually distributed in the body. It's actually something that we are calling on. It's like it might not be your turn at this point, but like every single person potentially has a thing to contribute in this space. We also, I mean, we're like, hey, was it all, like, do we have three dudes talking in a row? Let's not do that. Which one of our women can we put in that spot? Or like, hey, is it a bunch of white guys? Like, let's not do that, right? We want to model that these gifts are distributed through the body when we meet. And that's in prepared elements and not prepared elements. So Paul's going to give some guidelines about how, how this goes. When you gather, somebody has this, somebody has this, somebody has this. Why are there these guidelines? I think because, number one, some of these things are spontaneous. And number two, these are actually open to literally maybe everyone who's a part of the body. And so it could be messy. It could be a little messy. And it might be why I think the Corinthians get this a little bit. They're just going astray. They get this because, you know what, they're praying in, in tongues a lot. They're praying in tongues a lot. And Paul's like, hang on, besides this openness, besides this spontaneity, let's make sure we're doing these things for edification, that we're actually trying to be intelligible about it so people are going to get some things. They're going to get what we're going for in these gatherings, and people aren't just flexing. I'm going to just keep that. That's perfect. That's the right thing. All right, here's verse 27. Tongues aren't forbidden. They're just marginalized. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let it be two or at most three, and in turn... Not at the same time. And let one person interpret. Paul says earlier in the chapter, hey, if you have a tongue, like pray for an interpretation. You might say, forgive the word banana, banana, banana. But then if you can say, I think the Lord is saying this, he's like, okay, that's fair game because you're making it intelligible. If there isn't an interpreter, there's nobody around who like does the interpreting of tongues thing, which is a gift, then you know what? Let him be silent in church and talk to himself and, and, and to God which is to say, please don't bother us with your uninterpreted tongues. That's not going to edify people, right? Tongues, two or three at the most. And if there's not people who interpret, okay. I'm going to move on because I don't think this is a problem we have at the Elm City Vineyard right now. Too many people coming up here speaking in tongues. But I do want you to speak all, all in tongues, like Paul says. I, I want that too. Here's verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. So let them evaluate, let them weigh, consider, discern, however you might parse that. It doesn't seem like two or three is the limit for the gathering, um, but maybe the number that you would kind of gather before you do the evaluating step. Um, 
down in verse 31, it says, for you all can prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. That seems to hold open the possibility that we could have like 90 people prophesy as long as we did it in turn and at the same time and took some breaks to check in and be like, was that, do we feel, yeah, was that from the Lord? Like, how do we understand that, right? Again, if it's 90 of them, we're maybe straining at like endurance and intelligibility and things, but theoretically, I think it's open that you could have a bunch of prophetic words. Um, this word discern for what uh, should be done after the prophet's share uh, is the same word used for the spiritual gift of discernment, of discerning between spirits. And I think when we're discerning prophetic words, uh, we're not usually trying to decide, is this, uh, is this a word from like the Holy Spirit or some like foreign spirit? I think we're usually, I mean, that's a possibility, but I think we're usually trying to figure out, does this prophetic word kind of conform with the Holy Spirit or is it mostly like whatever that person's just kind of bringing? Is it more kind of their ideas and preoccupations than what the Spirit would be? And that's a thing that we are invited to do when we have these prophetic words. Um, what's required is not interpretation, which is the case with tongues, right? In tongues, people are saying stuff that you don't know, so it has to like be made clear where it's opaque. Here, what you're doing, I take it, is something more like trying to figure out, hey, is this, is this viable? Is the Lord really saying this thing? And if so, what, it would, what would it look like to hear it or to respond to it? Um, I think the idea is that prophecy maybe isn't just taken at face value. Like, oh, that guy prophesied, so check. There is a step of figuring out, hey, is that from the Lord, mostly from the Lord? And if so, could we recognize it as that? Is there a way that we might respond or live into it or affirm it? That's a mode that is part of this thing. And Paul seems to suggest that that's kind of an essential element of doing this. Not just not tongues, because who knows what that means, but when you're prophesying, you still have a, a, a way in which the community is called to kind of discern and make some sense. Um, it says in here, let the others pass judgment. Uh, there's a question, I think, of whether this is the prophets. Sometimes it makes sense to have people who regularly prophesy and have some track record. You might call them the prophets. Maybe they have a role in helping to lead the community in doing some of this discernment work. But I think it's pretty clear that the whole community is in view in this part. And so it could really be the ultimate audience for kind of doing this discerning about prophecy is the whole community. If it doesn't kind of, if there are three people who are like, we think it's good, but the rest of the community doesn't, I'm not sure that you've succeeded in what, in what Paul thinks is happening. Um, what's very interesting to me in this passage is that the leadership of this is like totally not at all clear. Um, the emphasis is much more on the whole body as a source of potential contributions to the meeting. Uh, and the individual people who might step forward to prophesy than it is to any kind of roles. Uh, I was reading one of the commentaries, and someone said, these are the instructions for the chairman. And uh, the guy who was reading this commentary was like, as if, what chairman? There's no chairman. Nobody's talking about a chairman. Uh, there may be some roles in the body, but they are not the focus here. The focus here is not on, like, who has the job of policing the prophets. The focus is on, like, hey, this body right here is going to have some people with prophecies to share. And this body right here 
is going to have to discern uh, what happens after a few of those get shared. A few at a time, IntelliJB. Um, I think, lest you think, I think it is, it is meaningful to think of a group of people as prophets uh, who prophesy with some kind of track record regularly. Um, but verse 30 says, if a revelation comes to someone else who is sitting, presumably the prophets are up speaking, if a revelation comes to someone else who's sitting there, let the first speaker be silent. So there aren't anyone who get called prophets in such a way that when they're speaking, they wouldn't yield the floor to whoever else out there might have something to say. That's how open uh, to the idea that the Lord might speak or lead any person to contribute in the meeting is. Um, verse 31, for you all can prophesy one by one so that all may learn. That's what I said, that could be endless. We could all prophesy. Paul is 100% open to the fact that every single person here might theoretically have a prophetic word to share for this gathering. The only thing that needs to be done is that we do it in an orderly way. <laughs> that people say a thing, that we pause from time to time and evaluate, see how this is going. But there's no, like, there's no limit on the number of people who might have a contribution to make in the gathering of the worship body. The spirit might move someone else in the body to share, and the prophets have to stand aside, and then the body discerns. The Holy Spirit indwells all of the gathered believers. Some folks may be more gifted in prophecy or discernment, but I think no one actually gets to outsource their discernment. Um, the space that we probably do the most of this regularly uh, at ECV is in prayer ministry. We will give a call to prayer ministry. We'll do, we'll do some of that very soon. Um, we have people, when we're on the green, go over that way and pray for folks. Um, we will share, those of us who are praying, things that we think the Lord might be saying. And then the person that we're praying for, we're going to ask them, hey, did that, did that make sense, the things I was praying, the things I was sharing? Like, do you relate to that? Was that right? Was that not right? And then they get to say, <laughs> Like, oh, that was kind of helpful, like, or like, oh, that piece was right on, or that, like, I, I don't know, I don't relate to that, like, maybe I'll think about it some more. Some people lie because they're uncomfortable, but like, there's a space made to actually discern, right? No one actually gets to outsource their discernment about what the Lord is saying or the Lord is leading. I think that's not how this works, and it's also not how it works when we gather as a body. It's not like you can get three people who are the discerners. They may exercise some leadership in discerning. They may help the body do some discerning. But I think each individual person, if they're trying to hear the word of the Lord, is going to have to do some discerning. It's not one of those things that's just a gift for the, 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 the special folks who are discerners. But if it's going to work in the body, it's going to have to be discerned at some level um, by the body. All right, I talked about this a little bit already. Verse 32, the spirits of prophets are under the control of prophets or subject to the prophets. For God is not the God of disorder, but of peace, as he is in all the churches. One commentator says, the spirit speaks, but what is spoken comes through the controlled instrumentality of the believer's own mind and tongue. So I might receive a word from the Lord, but you are going to hear from the Lord what I say about it. And so when we share prophetic words in this space, we do so recognizing that, hey, 
this might be from God, but I'm telling you about it. And so I'm going to own my role as someone who's trying to share what I think the Lord is showing me. So we say things like, I think the Lord might be saying dot, dot, dot. Or I wonder if the Lord is leading us to dot, dot, dot. We are building in to anything we might say that we think is from the Lord, the possibility that we've got it a little bit wrong or that we've said it a little bit incorrect and we're inviting discernment about whether what we've had to say from the Lord is useful or applicable or needs a little tweaking. That's as good as it gets. Now, some people, when they're talking, they'll talk about New Testament prophecy and Old Testament prophecy. And the idea, I'm yes, 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 New Testament prophecy, you can try it out. You can take a risk. You can get some feedback. You must get feedback. There's no other way that this works. We don't take each other on authority in the practice of New Testament prophecy. It's not like that guy's the prophet, so he's right. Nope. Discernment is the name of the game all the way down. Yay, New Testament prophecy. Questions about that? You know what? Old Testament prophecy, it's the same. You read that verse in Deuteronomy, and they're like, if the prophet's it wrong, you kill him. They didn't do that. Deuteronomy is flexing. Deuteronomy is like, hey, we wrote this book. It's very important. If the prophet's saying other stuff, kill him. This is not what they did in the Old Testament. They did not kill the prophets. But you know which prophets, who, the books that we have, you know the ones that we have? People found them useful. They discerned that there was some good stuff in there. And that's why we have them. You know which prophets' books we don't have? The ones that people did not find useful. The ones that they did not discern were worth keeping around and collecting. There may be some differences between Old Testament and New Testament prophecy, but I don't know. Not that one. Not the, like, kill people who are wrong. That's not a thing. You heard it here. <laughs> I have a PhD. Did you know that? It's true. I do. Um, I'm flexing. <laughs> That's it. Did I mention I speak in tongues? I do it all the time. I did it today. All right. I'm going to leave it there in terms of the journey through 1 Corinthians. We'll do a few other things. Um, if you opened your Bible, if you're scrolling through your Bible, you find that there's a really wacky thing that's said about women just right here in the middle of this passage. Guys, it doesn't belong there. It's an actual, like, textual interpolation. We could, like, talk text criticism. Come talk to me about it. It's not from Paul. It wasn't in there. And it's, like, actually deeply inconsistent with what Paul wrote, like, a few chapters ago. It's this thing about women keeping silent in the church. Um, someone might say about this, it is absolutely clear from the discussion in chapter 11 that Paul fully expects women to speak and prophesy in church and clearly approves of the practice. That's just true. So if your Bible, for some reason, decided to go ahead and print those verses you can know that there's some funny business going on. And again, we have enough other things to do besides talk about that. Uh, but if you want to talk about that, I'd be glad to talk about that. It's a really interesting question. How is this thing on our Bible and actually wrong? We could talk about it. And then the last part of the chapter, just to whoever's preaching on 15, we got to get through the end. The last part of the chapter, Paul is expecting some pushback. So he kind of plays the like, hey, I'm giving you a command from God. Chill out with the tongues that are not interpreted. You know what you should do? This is at the beginning of chapter 14 and at the end of chapter 14. Earnestly desire to prophesy. Prophecy is the thing that is going to encourage and console and build up the church. And you know what? It might feel a little dicey. 
might feel a little weird to open up the floor to whoever, but you got to do it. This is actually like what should happen when the people of God gather. The church is a body that discerns the word and the activity of God in its midst, and that's as exercised by members of the body. Members of the body are going to get words to share, and then we discern. What do you guys think we're going to do next? We're going to do that. It's right there in the book, and then we're just going to do it. Let two or three prophets speak, and then we will ju- you know, discern, we'll judge what's said. We kind of do this a little bit anyway. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, when someone comes up here to share the prayer call, there is a secret group me where those of us who sometimes hear from the Lord, it's not secret at all. I talk about it at least once a month. If you are somebody who hears regularly from the Lord and you're not on the group me, let me know because we would love to have you on the group me. Um, someone will read the group me or get tapped on the shoulder or whatever, uh, and people will share some words about what they think the Lord is doing, and some will, com- will come up and kind of present some of those. There's a kind of a, a sifting of what those words are going to be. Um, I think today I'm going to look at my, we're going we're gonna to pause and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit in a moment, and I'm going to look in the group me and see what the people are saying. But we're also going to make an opportunity to say, hey, we're going to model like, hey, people out here have words from the Lord for us. That's the sort of church that Paul envisions, and it's the kind of church that we are slash want to be. So we're going to do that. Um, What's it like to get a prophetic word? It's kind of like having a thought in your brain. It's kind of not like hearing a voice from the heavens. Happens sometimes. Not to me. Haven't heard the voice from the heavens. That happens sometimes. What's more common is that you'll have like a thought of some kind in your head that stands out or sticks around or isn't traceable to a train of thought that you can kind of identify. Might be like an image, uh, might be a picture, might be a set of words, might not actually be in the content of words, but just kind of a sense you might have that you're like, oh, what's that about? That might, might be from the Lord. How will you know? You might ask. Lord, is this from you? You might have a sense. Have you ever like had any sort of conversation with the Lord? Have you ever read the Bible and been like, oh, that verse is for me? It's in that space, <laughs> that space of thinking and experiencing and discerning. Um, a few other guidelines. Uh, in Romans 12, it says the prophet should prophesy something like on the analogy of faith or kind of according to the measure of faith. I take that to mean, hey, the things that you prophesy, like, correspond to what we know about Jesus. Um, Revelation 19.10 says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If it's a word from the Lord, it's going to correspond to what we know, what you know as someone who loves and trusts Jesus. Um, You are not going to be told to pursue an extramarital affair. You are not going to be invited to worship Baal. Uh, Those are obvious ones, but, like, there is a tradition— of Jesus loving in which we're expecting the Lord to speak. Those are the things that count. And then for 1 Corinthians 14, those who prophesy speak to other people for upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation, right? If the sort of thing that you're hearing from the Lord couldn't possibly be construed as encouraging or consoling or upbuilding, you might not quite have it. But if you do, you might. Any questions about that?
Okay, you can come ask me questions afterward, or after we try it and see how it goes. And you're like, that was so weird. Could you help me think about that? I would love to do that. That's the sort of thing I love to do. All right, so I am going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and lead us in maybe sharing some things that are from the Lord for the space. They're going to be upbuilding and edifying and encouraging and all of those good things. So we're going to take maybe even a whole minute, a whole 60 seconds, and just be quiet and see if in the space of your mind, in the space of kind of thinking about what the Lord is doing, if we might uh, hear some words from the Lord. So come, Holy Spirit. We thank you that when we gather, each one of us might potentially give a gift to the body for its upbuilding. Would you come and do that now? Okay, some of you look like you're still engaged with the Lord, but I totally forgot to count. It's true. We're just being honest up here today. Yeah, James, you got something to say? Okay. James will be one because we're counting to three, and then we'll check in. Those who know me, I like to pray for the circle. Well, how we come to the circle? I see a lot of killings in New Haven. I've been here all my life. Kids going, kids can't walk the streets without some bullet flying over their head. But I, I pray for this circle. I've been coming here for years. Well, how we come to these kids when they want to go to school? They had to worry about no bullet flying over their heads and stuff. I got a niece out here somewhere. I pray for her. When I come into the circle, let people find peace here. Instead of these guns of violence in the way, you got to stop. Lord, in your mercy, hear my prayers. Thanks, James. Yeah, Vicki. Todd, when you were saying that this is where we can all play. I have this sense there are people here at ECV who don't know what their role is. And 
they are often very awkward, socially awkward. And in their social awkwardness, they can make people feel uncomfortable. And so we just sort of separate ourselves from them. And I believe that this is a very normal thing, but I think I, I really sense that we in the body need to work to see how to help each other understand what our role is. And if the way we are operating in the body makes other people uncomfortable, rather than just stepping away, we need to say, okay, God, what are you doing? What is their role? And help them to find that role. Thanks. Thanks, Vicki. All right, Heidi. I was like, Paul says two or three, but I'm definitely holding out for three at least. Okay. All right, so since we're kind of sharing how the process of this here, I'm going to share a little bit the process of, of this word as well. So um, earlier today, I just kind of, as Todd was sharing, um, I just got the sense that, like, yeah, we need to have courage to participate in the body, right? And then Todd got really moved by this everybody can play word, right? And I was like, oh, there's something there, right? There's like, and it's hard for me to know because that's something that's always been difficult for me. Um, I also grew up in this kind of <laughs> world in which the person up front was the one who led and that was it, you know? Um, and when I came to ECB, this idea that everyone could play, but me, right, was uh, how I felt, right? Because, like, you know, Todd hears from the Lord. And he tells you about it, right? Uh, other people at home group, they hear from the Lord. Maybe I do, but I don't I never tell anybody about it. So I, I'll, I'll just say that, like, sometimes when you hear from the Lord, it can be persistent, right? Um, and, and if you're getting that persistent nudge, right, if you're getting that pers persistent nudge um, and, and you're constantly saying, Hey, I, I not that's not me. Like, uh, I encourage you. Like, the body needs you. In fact, um, you're a, a critical part of the functioning of the body. And that's um, the other sense that I got today is like, <laughs> I have thyroid problems. There's a thyroid out there, right? That's not doing its job in the body because of this fear of not wanting to be involved. And so, um, if you don't know, like, having a misfunctioning thyroid messes up everything you feel awful all the time like I thought I was depressed I thought I was like I just feel awful all the time and we need you <laughs> we need your encouragement we need your word we need your teaching um, yeah so not not just everyone can play which is like something some of us need to hear or something that I definitely need to hear but everyone plays we need you to play yeah Heidi am I right that someone had a prophetic word for you about the thyroid thing that was part of the thing. 100% yes. And I would have never gone to the doctor if I had not been told, you know, you need to go to the doctor. And then, yeah, I was healed. But okay. By the doctor. Right. <laughs> by the doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought, I think that's right. I think that's the story. You were feeling kind of funky. Someone gave you a prophetic word that you could go to the doctor. Because that was that. Yeah. And ta-da. All right, there's three. This is the part that Paul doesn't tell you what to do. We're just supposed to discern. 
Those feel from the Lord. My sense, as a religious professional who prays in tongues, is that there was something from the Lord in each of those, right? Like, I don't know where we're putting the slider. 100%? Like, I don't know that any of those was 100, but I think we got some good content and leadership from the Lord, right? Heidi's idea, like, hey, if you're saying, like, that's not me, I don't think that's the sort of thing the Lord might say to you. That's not me? Mm-mm. That's not from the Lord. That's from something else. So I think there's, a, there's an invitation to actually address that. Um, so we might we might pivot to some prayer ministry if prayer ministers who don't have words to share um, might go make themselves available to pray. But if one of your words is, if one of the things you're pro- kind of processing is like, hey, that's not me, I think that is not from the Lord. <laughs> the Lord would not say to you that you actually don't have a role um, or a place. Uh, and so there's an invitation to actually specifically engage with that. Um, and I think Vicky's word was similar, right? There are folks who don't know what their place is, uh, and that actually works kind of both ways, <laughs> that sometimes that's because of a way that they are, but there's also, I think, we don't always, even though we love Jesus so much, we don't always move towards people that we find different or weird. And I do suspect that there's something of the Lord's invitation for us to actually think and I think we've seen some of this as we've, we've pursued uh, this series about life in the body. I think the Lord is actually wanting to extend some more grace for us to like move towards uh, relationships that feel weird or feel broken or feel uncertain, move towards people that we feel a little bit eh about um, while having good boundaries and being you know wise and all these things. But I think movement away is very un-First Corinthians. Um, and so movement toward and seeking the Lord's leadership and those sorts of things, again, seems to me like the sort of thing the Lord might might be up to. And James, I feel like I hear the heart <laughs> for like, hey, we're meeting in this space, and this is not actually like a comfy, cozy church building. We're in the context of a city where there is, for some of us, it's not background that we are out in, in New Haven. It is foreground that there are some dynamics of being a people following Jesus in this place. And those dynamics have a claim, I think, on certain kinds of attention we have. So I think there's an invitation from Heidi's word to engage uh, with what your role might be in the body. Also from Vicky's word about folks who don't know what the role is in the body, but also a, m- a move towards other people that you might find a little weird. Um, and then for, for James's word, that there, there are things to be like lifted up in prayer, but also, um, yeah, interacted with as we put ourselves in a place of being a church in this city. All right, I think it's probably later than I want it to be. Is that how you feel? I think we might not go for one by one and get into double digits. But know that that is the sort of thing that is on the table for this gathering and for this people. that the, We actually expect the Lord to speak and use and call and gift every single person that would be joined to this body um, to do work in this body. Let me ask the worship team to come up as I'm going to pray for us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you're up to 
in our body. Yeah, we ask just for for energy, for freedom, uh, to move towards the things that you have for us still in our time together and caring for one another and seeing what you would lead us into. Yeah, would you have your way as we put ourselves in a position to say, hey, Lord, what do you, what do you, have, <laughs> what do you have for me to be about or to step into uh, even just in the next 10 minutes of being in this space? Holy Spirit, would you continue your work? In Jesus' name.